So a children's pastor was, was giving an assignment to his class. He challenged them to, to learn one of the most popular, one of the most known uh, portions of Scripture, Psalm 23. And there was one little guy, he, uh, we're dealing with like three uh, third and fourth graders. So, so, so he, he challenged them to learn that. And there's one, one little guy, he was having a hard time learning all six verses. It was kind of difficult for him. So, so he practiced and he practiced and he practiced. And, and he still had a hard time getting through the first couple of verses. So on the day that they were scheduled to recite their verses before, you know, uh, one another, uh, he went up to the front of the room, and with great boldness, he went, he went like this. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. And then suddenly he just went blank. And there was a long pause. And he said this, and that's all I really need to know. Now, now, listen, I, I don't mean to be funny by that, but, but that really is not bad theology for a third grader. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot more than some people know. If you know the Lord as your shepherd, then you're really blessed. But I, I, love, I love that kids love the Word of God, you know, and, and our kids are doing such a great job downstairs with 22, six kids, and, and uh, uh, kids love the story of Jesus and his disciples who are caught in a furious storm on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, you can really get kids to sit on the edge of their chair with the waves crashing against the ship and it looks like the ship is going to sink. And, and where's Jesus in all of this? Perfect picture of peace, by the way. He's asleep on a cushion. So this week and next week, I want to talk to you about the storms that Jesus faced and how he responded and the storms that we face and how we should likewise respond. They wake Jesus up with the most horrible, wretched accusation ever. And, and, and they say to him as they wake him up, I don't know who it was, who, which of the disciples did it, but we'll find out someday. But, but, but they, they wake him up by saying this, Lord, don't you care that we're about to perish? What a horrible accusation. Lord, don't you care that we're about to die? Don't you care that we're about to sink, right? I, I want you to think about this. Who do you suppose would love for all of us in this room right now today to believe that God doesn't care? When we're going through a storm, when we're going through a difficulty, when we're going through trouble, I would venture this guess, and I know I'm probably right, that every single one of us has been tempted from time to time to believe, to feel like God doesn't care when we're in the midst of a difficult time. Tempted to feel, I said. Now, now, we who live by faith and not by sight, we, we don't live by our emotions. We live by a higher principle, which is the word of God. And so I thank God that we don't have to go by what we feel or what we're tempted to feel. It's a horrible, horrible accusation that was made. But I want you to think about it. Th th that devilish accusation, and that's what it was, that devilish accusation was the first accusation that was ever made and it was made in a garden paradise where everything was perfect, where man was perfect, where there were no storms and there were no troubles. So I, I, I say to myself, logically, if that happened then and the accusation came up in the paradise that God doesn't really care, what, what, what do you think is going to happen in a world where there are storms and there are calamities and there are troubles? You know, it's, it's a real no-brainer that we will be tempted in the area of believing that God doesn't care. But I want you to know this, that the cross 
refutes that ugly accusation and forever demonstrates that God not only cares about us, that he loves us unconditionally and he loves us. But here's the fact that because of the fall of man, we are all vulnerable to believing the lie. So Jesus wakes up, and what does he do? He resists the storm. Just as James says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, and suddenly there's a calm. The wind dies down. The waves subside, and everything is calm except the disciples because they're a nervous wreck. At this point, it says, it says that they're still terrified, and they're, and they're just shaken by the whole experience, and they begin to talk among themselves, and they say to one another, dude, no, they didn't say that. They said to one another, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Great question. Jesus is a man, but he's no ordinary man. He is, he is God, man, but he is a man that this world has never seen before, and he is a man certainly the devil has never seen before. Now, what I want you to know today is that this is just part of the story. He's no ordinary man, and the devil has never met a man like this before. I want you to think about this that the, this is not just the demonstration of his power. There's something going on here behind the scenes. So let's kind of draw the veil back a little bit and get a closer look at what's going on here. Because I tell you what, the story so far, if this was made into a movie, it would get a PG rating, you know, parental guidance, you know, uh, because of the violence of the storm, right? But if we connected to the sequences that follow, which are, which are absolutely essential for us to understand what's going on here. See, we can't understand this storm unless we understand what follows. Then, it would, then the story would get an R rating, restricted, 17 and under, not admitted without a parent. And here's the reason why it would get an R rating, because it was demonically inspired, because this storm was, was originated and generated by the powers of darkness. This was not the first time that the life of Jesus was at risk or that Jesus experienced the threat against his life. When he, was, when he was just a child, right, King Herod finds out that Messiah is, is born in Bethlehem and he sends his soldiers to kill every male child two years old and under in the city of Bethlehem. Now, Joseph had been warned by an angel in a dream to flee and they went into Egypt until it was safe for him to return. Now, how do I know it was demonic? Well, because Revelation chapter 12 gives us a picture uh, using symbolism, and it talks about a great dragon, that old serpent, the devil, he's identified, who was ready to devour a man-child as it had been born. And that was, that's a picture of, of Jesus, but he was rescued in that situation. There were many other occasions in which, in which the life of Jesus was threatened, but, but I want you to think about this. If you if are familiar with the book of Job, back in the book of Job, somehow, I know it's, it's almost incomprehensible, but somehow, some way, Satan was able to harness the wind so that a great wind had knocked down the house upon which all of Job's children were dwelling. So I don't know how to explain it, but I just know that the Bible tells us that's what was going on here. 
What I want you to know is that not all storms are the same. Not all storms, not all difficulties, not all trials, not all tribulations are the same. What we need to discover is the source of those storms so that we can properly respond. Sometimes we are to resist with the authority of heaven. Sometimes, sometimes storms are to be endured. And we'll talk about that next time, next week. I want you to understand that the rest of the story has not yet been told. When they land, right, everything's calm, and they ultimately land on the other side of the Lake of Galilee, and they land in what's called the region of the Gadareans. And there they're met by a character who identifies himself as legion, for there were many demons that had infested or demonized this man. Here's a man who was living in the tombs. This is where he was comfortable. He was naked. He would cut himself. He had supernatural strength to the point where he would be bound with chains, but he would break the chains. He could not be bound. And the people lived knowing that this crazy guy, this this guy who was filled with demons was living among them, right? But now here he sees Jesus coming. The demons understand who this is. And he comes running to Jesus, not to attack Jesus, but to fall at Jesus' feet. And Jesus demonstrates one of the greatest reasons why he has come from heaven. John tells us that the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil, to bind the strong man and to spoil his goods. And this is what Jesus was about to do in setting this man free. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of how he did that, but he commanded this, the, the demons to come out of, of this man. And this man is now completely set free. This was Satan's purpose to circumvent the release of this, of this man and the, and the ruling spirits that were over this area of the Gadareans. You see, the people of this area were so deceived and so captive by the prevailing spirit that when they see the man now clothed and in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus, guess what they do? They don't rejoice. They don't thank Jesus. They ask Jesus to leave their area because they were terrified by what had happened. They weren't terrified by the man in his crazy demonized state. They were terrified now that the man was was right in his head and he was clothed and sitting at the feet of Jesus. I mean, are you kidding? You want Jesus to leave? He's the best thing that ever happened to your city. And you know what? Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to this world. But what does the scripture say about this world? He came into his own and his own received him not. That though he made the world and all that's in it, the world did not recognize him. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That's how, we, that's how we treated God, the Son of God. It's amazing, isn't it? That this now once tormented man, now completely healed, wanted to follow Jesus. And this is what Jesus says, what well, I have an assignment for you. What I want you to do is I want you to go home to your family And I want you to tell them the great things God has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the Bible says that this man went immediately to the Decapolis. The Decapolis is is an area of 10 cities. And he went from city to city telling his story. And the Bible says that all who heard him were amazed. That's God's MO, folks. 
God loves to take what the devil is meant for evil, turn it upside down, and use it for our good and for his glory. In fact, you know what? God has the same assignment for us. When God has done great things in our life, he wants us to tell our family, to tell our neighbors what great things God has done and the mercy he has had for us. Now listen, we we may never have to deal with hurricane-force winds that are satanically inspired, right? But, but I believe that we all face storms of various kinds. And, and some of them, no doubt, are satanically inspired. Some of them just come as a result of being in a sinful world. And, and we, we go through trouble, or we go through adversity, and the storms kick themselves up, right? But, but, but here, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that it's so important how we respond to them. And I want to talk to you for the rest of our time together about one of the most common storms that we all face. And I know that we all face this. I mean, being in ministry for almost 40 years, I know I've seen this so repeatedly. And it is the storm of discouragement. Like Jesus, if we discern that the source of this discouragement, this cloud that may be coming over us, this season of just being downcast, may be demonic, then we have every right with heavenly authority to resist. And as James says, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Let's face it. Discouragement is one of the most effective weapons that the enemy uses against us to do what? To shipwreck our faith. And today, I want to just tell you how imperative it is, how important it is for us to take a stand against that and to war against this discouragement. They say that for every negative word spoken to us, at us, about us, requires 10 words of encouragement to counteract those those negative words that sometimes dropped in on us. It's called the the, the negative to positive ratio or the criticism to praise ratio. It exists. In other words, we get a whole lot more criticism. We get a whole lot more negative words in our life than we do positive words. That's why it's so important to be people who are people of encouragement. But simply put, what does all this mean? What it it means is that we're all vulnerable to discouragement. How easy it is to to, to go from being, okay, I'm feeling okay today, to all of a sudden just, you know, just feeling down, right? Feeling discouraged. I love David, therefore, because of this. You know, it says about David, when David's men spoke about stoning David because the hearts of the men were sad because of the loss of of their women and children, David's response was this. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Sometimes the only one who can encourage you is you yourself in God. And how do we, how do we know that David, or what was the method in which David encouraged himself? Well, we look at some of the Psalms that were written. David would speak to himself. He would say something like this in Psalm 42, verse 5. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. And he's talking to himself. You know, especially us guys, men probably have the most difficult time getting in touch with what they feel. But David didn't have a problem here. He understood that there was a reason why he was downcast or disquieted, why he had no peace in his soul. But he spoke to himself and said, now this is what you need to do. You need to put your hope. You need to direct your hope in God. And I want to tell you that is a great way for us to encourage ourselves in the Lord. I wish I had a dollar for every time 
we preachers have, have used the expression that we live in a broken world, right? I mean, you've heard that, you know, a million times that I'd be able to buy the new building that we're looking for, right? But, but think, think about this. That's the, that's the backdrop in which we do life. We live in this broken world. And we need to always never forget that this world in its present state is not our home. That this world is hostile to us as believers in Christ. Jesus said, the world would love you if you belonged to the world. But because you belong to me, the world will hate you. So there's hostility and there's conflict that arise not only from the powers of darkness, but even from the children of darkness. Okay, so I want you to think about that for a minute. And it's so important for us as followers of Christ to remember this is not our home. Sometimes it feels like we've been parachuted behind enemy lines and there's danger all around us. You know, on on, uh, D-Day, Normandy, many of the parachuters you know, missed their mark, and they actually landed in enemy territory, which was terribly dangerous for them. Remember John Newton's song about amazing grace? He said, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. There are many dangers, and there are many snares or traps or entrapments that we have to deal with on a, on a weekly or daily basis. But God has grace for us. And his grace can see us through any storm. In almost 40 years of ministry, I've never, I've never met a person who I could say, this person has never struggled with discouragement. Because it's common to all of us. But I love, I, I love this reality that when you go through storms, when you go through troubles, tribulation works patience and patience endurance. And, and, and that does not make us to become ashamed because the hope of God is in our hearts. I want you to look at this, this great quote from Ziggy. Uh, yeah, Zig Ziglar. He says, I, I never met a strong person with an easy pass. That's a great line. Just a few words, but so full of truth. I never met a strong person. People who have charmed lives, people who have easy, comfortable lives, don't develop strength of character. No, but if you go through difficult times, it'll either make you or you break you. It'll either make you stronger or or it will destroy you. And God's purpose for us is that we would learn how to become strong in the Lord and the power of his mind. I have an old song that I want to kind of share with you some of the lyrics of. And I want you to do is I want you to help me finish the last line, all right? Okay, it goes like this. Talking to myself and feeling old. Now, you may not know the song off, off, off the top of your head. By the way, that was written by a 20- or 30-year-old somebody, right? Sometimes I'd like to quit. Nothing ever seems to fit. Hanging around. Talk about being negative. Nothing to do but frown. Now, here's the line. Rainy days and Mondays. Come on, say it louder. And last time I checked, Mondays come around once a week. Here's somebody who's living in a, in a, in a cycle of, of being down. Rainy days and Monday. It doesn't rain every day, but it certainly does. You know, Mondays come around. Every, you know, tell you what, if, if that's, if, if, you know, one of the reasons why that song was number one and number two on pop charts for weeks back in the day was because it struck a chord with our shared experience. Because it's real easy to get down. And I'll tell you what, I've got a list that I composed that are way more weighty, way more serious than 
Mondays and rainy days, all right? So you get ready. N- n- number one, unfair criticism. Do you, ever, do, you ever, do you ever feel down because somebody was unfairly critical of you? You, 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 you? you did something that was really good, and yet they just crushed your spirit because of unfair criticism? How about false accusations? To be accused of something that you didn't do. Betrayal, insults, mistreatment. Being unjustly judged and condemned. Broken family relationships can get you down. How about constant, unrelenting temptation? Serving ungrateful people. All of those things that I just mentioned, and and, and there's a reason why I chose those. All of those things that I just mentioned are way more weightier than rainy days and Mondays. In fact, they can kick up to a Category 5 in a real short period of time. And people who give in and yield to, like the... The song lyric says, sometimes I'd like to quit. People who who quit, who give up concerning the relentless discouragement that comes their way, they they go from discouragement to to, to becoming impatient, to becoming angry, to becoming bitter. There's a progression there. And what you want to do is you want to avoid that. You don't want to allow discouragement to take root in your life. If you're not a follower of Jesus, honored that you're here. And I hope that something that I say today will inspire you to look to Jesus. See, I believe that Jesus is God's remedy for all that ails us. Not only discouragement, but for every other experience that the human heart can know that Jesus is the answer for the world today. So here's a question I have for you. Would you be surprised if I tell you that Jesus himself struggled against, wrestled against discouragement. Somebody said, whoa, wait, wait, not Jesus. Yeah, Jesus wrestled against, struggled against discouragement. I'm going to show you in just a couple of minutes, but I want you to think about just right, right from the top. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all areas just as we are, yet without sin. In other words, he was tempted to be discouraged because we're tempted to be discouraged, and yet he overcame. Yet he would not allow his heart to be discouraged. We make a great mistake when we think of Jesus as only being either a man or only being God. He is, he is very God, very man. Two natures, one person. It's the mystery of the incarnation, right? Not trying to explain it, just telling you, what it is. it is. It is the mystery of godliness. But we make an equally great mistake to think that Jesus defeated sin, Satan, and death as in his divine nature. No, no. What makes his victory so amazingly glorious for human beings is that he did so as a man. As a human being, Jesus defeated sin, Satan, and death. And that's what, that's what gives us so much, so much celebration around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about some of the things that I had on that list. In fact, all the things I had on that list were experiences that Jesus had. He was falsely accused. He was accused of casting out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. He was, being, he was accused of being born of fornication, of, of being born out of wedlock. He was accused of so many things 
And yet, those accusations must have been like, you know, beast things, or, you know, many, many beast things to him. I, I know that because, because I can imagine what it's like for myself to be falsely accused. It's happened a couple of times. When I was in the seventh grade a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, I was accused of pushing a fellow classmate down a flight of concrete stairs, and, and he was injured. Uh, the school principal wanted to kick me out of school. The school principal read the riot act to my parents and then my parents to me. And you know what? I didn't do it. I honestly did not do it. I was innocent, but I was accused. Now, I didn't care so much that the principal thought that I did it or the teacher thought that I did it. What hurt me the most was when my parents thought that I did it. And that stung just a little bit. Now, I got over it a long time ago. In fact, that's over 60 years ago, but it's something that I remember. It's not something that you forget. Here's the difference. I got away with so much stuff in my lifetime, so many things that I did that I wasn't blamed for, but Jesus never got away with anything because Jesus never sinned either in word, thought, or deed. And for Jesus to be falsely accused must have been exponentially painful for him. If you're innocent and you get accused, what would that be like if you were the son of God? I, I just, it's hard for us to imagine. Jesus served ungrateful people, people, people who were healed, people who received from him, and they never came back to give thanks. We know of at least one occasion in which Jesus healed 10 lepers and only one out of the 10 came back to give thanks to God. What does that do to ministry? It, it makes ministry hard when, when you're serving ungrateful people, and it's easy to be discouraged. In John chapter 7, Jesus had brothers and sisters who did not believe that he was the Messiah. In fact, worse than not believing that he was the Messiah, they tried to restrain him because they thought that he was mentally unstable and beside himself. So they tried to restrict him. But, but what did Jesus do? He said, Who's my mother and who's my brother? But they that do the will of God. Jesus was able to press through that to continue ministry and to not allow anything to get him down. All of those things had the potential of discouraging Jesus, but he didn't let it. Now I want to show you prophetically as a, a glimpse into the emotional and the mental state of the Messiah. This is Isaiah chapter 49. 750 years, Doug spoke about Isaiah 53 last week, 750 years before Messiah came. But, but the Gospels tell us what Jesus did. Isaiah tells us why Jesus did some of the things that he did. Now, look at this in verse 1. It says, the Lord called me before my birth. We know that Isaiah said, unto us a child is given, unto us a son is born. From within the womb, he called me by name. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 2 says, God will make my words a sharp sword. In, in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus is visually seen figuratively with a sword proceeding out of his mouth, which is the word of God. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. I am like a sharp arrow in his quiver. Jesus is God's secret weapon to destroy the powers of darkness. He said to me, you are my servant, a prince with God, and 
and you shall bring me glory. Three times heaven's silence was broken to declare, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And on the third time it was, I have glorified your name and I will glorify it again. Here's verse four now. Here's that insight into the emotional makeup of Jesus. I said, this is prophetic, I've expended my energy in vain and for nothing. I've spent my strength for nothing. Jesus felt like the temptation for Jesus was that his ministry, especially, listen, the last six months of the ministry of Jesus, when the miracles started to, 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 to be less and less in number, and, and, and Jesus was, was no longer among the crowds, you know, healing multitudes and preaching the multitudes. In the last six months of the ministry of Jesus, people were turning against Jesus. Jesus was tempted to feel as though his strength was expended for nothing and in vain. But, he says, my reward is with my God. In other words, The temptation for Jesus, because it was mission impossible that we're talking about here. The ministry that Jesus was called to was absolutely, no no human being has ever defeated Satan. No human being has ever conquered death before Jesus Christ. No human being has ever defeated sin before Jesus Christ. And so Jesus felt as though Listen, how easy it would have been for him to have been discouraged. But Isaiah 42 verse 4 says this, He will not fail. He will not be discouraged. He will not fail nor be discouraged. I want you to know that that is a choice that you and I need to make. That really, when we talk about discouragement, it is an act of our will to not be discouraged discouraged. It is a choice, and it's a choice that we must never make to accept defeat and accept giving up and giving in to. You can't control what what somebody will say to you. You can't control what somebody will do to you, but you can control how you respond. And if you respond in the proper way, you don't have to be, you don't, you don't have to You don't have to become discouraged. Whatever hell is trying to vomit at you, if you discern that this is the enemy attacking me, then you can resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the trying of your faith becomes more precious than gold. I want you to think about how Jesus Jesus dealt with unrelenting temptation as an example for us that that you might be here today and, and you might be coming under you know, this, this constant, you know, feeling like, you know what, I just feel like a failure. I just feel like I give in to temptation and, and I've been defeated by the enemy. I want you to see what Jesus did so that we can emulate what Jesus did so that we can conquer the tempter. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit at the commencement of his ministry. In other words, before his ministry officially began, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert and there he was tested, tried, and tempted for 40 days. Now, we only have the last three temptations recorded in Scripture. When the Bible says that Jesus was hungry and and Satan came to him, and then he was tempted for six weeks. I want you to think about it. This was an epic battle that was taking place, and he did so for you and for me 
to defeat the enemy so that we would have the authority now to defeat the enemy. And the enemy came to him after he was hungry. You know, what an understatement. I'd be hungry after four hours. I don't know about you. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be famished after four hours. And Jesus is hungry after 40 days, six weeks. And the enemy comes and he points out there's, there's, there, there's stones. And, and I just imagine the stones being nice round, like round little loaves of bread. And how easy it is for, for the saliva glands to, to just begin to water in our mouth when we, we, we think we're, we're looking at something that, that would satisfy our hunger. But the cloak of this temptation was way more than just the physical. It was, it was if you are the Son of God, Turn these stones into bread. It'd be easy for you to do. I want you to think about how Jesus responded and how we should respond when it comes to temptation. You know, you know that temptation was, it was even at the cross. At the cross, Jesus heard the same, the same cloak of deception say, say to him, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross and we will believe in you. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute because if Jesus, knowing who he was, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, knowing all that, knowing his identity, and he was attacked in the area of his identity as the son of God, what do you think is going to happen to you and me in this life? You think we're going to get through this life without the enemy coming and sowing doubts of a suggestion? that maybe we're not one of God's children. If you are the child, a child of God, then why don't you change your circumstances? If you are a child of God, why are you sick? If you are a child of God, why, why can't you pay your bills? If you are a child of God, why aren't your children serving God? If you are a child, and it goes on and on, whatever the enemy will come to whisper to you when you find yourself in the midst of that storm, the enemy will, will tempt you with, with the identification. And the implication is you must not be one of God's children of all these things are going wrong in your life. I want you to think about that. Notice how Jesus responds. We have the three specific temptations, but in each of them, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, Satan, it is written. Satan, it is written. Satan, it is written. I want you to know that Jesus defeated the devil as a man full of faith, full of the word, and full of the Holy Spirit. The same gifts that God's given to us. If you're a believer in Christ, you've received the Spirit of God. If you're a believer, then you know how important the word of God is. And so when you come under the storm of the adversary, you can resist that fast in the faith and you can take the word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, and defeat the enemy. So let, let, let's kind of kind of recap here as, as we just take away some practical things this morning. Next week, I want to talk to you, and, and I can't wait really to talk to you about how Jesus endured the storm of all storms. But for now, I want to just kind of recap on some of the some of the things that will be in a practical application for us. As I said in the beginning. Don't entertain the accusation that God doesn't care. He has demonstrated his care, his love for us because he laid down his life for us. 
Never yield to that accusation. Discouragement is a choice. You can be like David. You could speak to your soul. You could say, why so down? Why so disquieted within me? Put your hope in God. Or say, or say, bless the Lord, all my soul and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Forget none of his benefits. Direct the course of your life by how you speak and direct your own soul. Resist the enemy, James says, and he will flee from you. Remember that there's power and authority, not only in the name of Jesus, but also in the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Revelation 12, 11, they overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. That is the word that we speak and the word of faith is what we are to speak. Jesus conquered as a man, a human being, conquered, conquered death, conquered sin, conquered Satan as a human being filled with the Holy Spirit, dependent upon God, trusting in God. Are you trusting in him today? And if you are, you likewise can walk in his victory. Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Believe that, live that, walk that. Faith untested, you know what? Cannot be trusted. And so what's one of the reasons why we even go through these adversities and trials? It is to develop character, to develop our faith, because I believe this with all my heart that storms are opportunities for God to show himself strong on our behalf. Storms are opportunities. It's how you look at it. You can get, you can get down and say, oh, why is this happening? Or you can, say, you can say, God, I know you have something in store, something good. Remember what I said about God's M.O.? He loves to take what the devil is meant for evil, turn it upside down for our good and for his glory. I want to just leave you with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Love this. Remember that picture I, I shared with you just in the beginning of this message where Jesus is asleep on the cushion. I said, perfect picture of rest, of, of, of peace. Spurgeon said this, when you go through a storm, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. What's the sovereignty of God? The sovereignty of God is knowing that God has numbered the hairs on our head that he knows everything about us. He knows, he knows the end from the beginning, that there is, there is no other God, and, and there is nothing that he does not know. He knows if a fly, you know, just enters your, your house and, and, and lands on your table, God knows about it. There's nothing that he doesn't know. And therefore, there's, there's, there is nothing that he can't handle with grace it's grace that brought you safe thus far, and grace will lead you home. Grace will lead you through any storm if you put your trust in him. Amen? Amen. I've, I've delivered my soul. Andrew's going to be preaching tonight. I'm going to go home and rest this afternoon. But what I want you to know is this, that if you're here today, and there's something that I said, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not sure about this Jesus thing, can I tell you that he wants you to have a relationship with him, but he's the remedy for all that you need. Whatever, whatever is wrong in your life, Jesus can make right. Let's pray. Father, I just lift up prayer for my brothers and sisters in this house today. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for the word of God that is able to build us up and to give us an inheritance in Christ. You, you, you not only love us, but you made us heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. 
And if there's anyone here that's under that cloud of discouragement this morning, they're in a season right now, they've been attacked by the enemy. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we rise up in faith and we resist steadfast in the faith that storm. We take heavenly authority over the powers of darkness and we say, we say to release captives today, just as Jesus set free captives, so whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I just want to speak to you this morning, if you're not a, a follower of Jesus, but would like to become one, it's not a magic formula, it's just a conversation that you start with Jesus like this, say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, come into my life, be the Lord and Savior of my heart. I believe that you died for my sins, that you were raised from the dead. I trust you. If you do that this morning, would you, would you tell somebody, maybe somebody who brought you, just share with them that you gave your life to Christ today. If you've been encouraged today by today's message, let's just take this next worship song and sing it with all of our hearts. Because God, does not want you to fear the storm. Amen?